You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 393. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Böckmann. See ya! Hey son, hey son! No Annika today. No hello. This week. No. So, uh, too bad she, um, Luna is a little bit ill, so she couldn't join. Annika couldn't join. Yeah. Too. But at least you're here, Andras. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like there is an alternation between the two of us. Yeah, it's, it's very <laughs> rarely that we're going we're gonna, to uh, both make it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really sorry about that. I mean, I would love to be there every single time. But uh, my job and, and my lifestyle is just so demanding. I'm actually really considering my options as to how to quit because it's uh it's it I I'm starting to feel that it's affecting my health as well. Yeah. So uh it's not a healthy thing. I mean, lots of people really envy me for traveling around the world all the time, but believe me, it's very tough on you and yeah. your system. It's um always in different time zones, not having a proper biological clock clicking there. It's like uh, no no, it's not. It's not for human beings. <laughs> no, I fully understand. I couldn't do what you're doing, uh, Anders. That's um, it's a crazy lifestyle. Yeah, it, it doesn't allow you to do very much on the side. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, some housekeeping here. We, as we've mentioned a couple of times now, we have recently started a shop Yay. at our website where you can buy t-shirts and hats and stuffs and mugs yep. and things and great yep. but we are discovering new things about it all the time mm-hmm. our friend chris from australia said well I, I can't seem to be able to put in a delivery address for australia so we had to look into this again turns out that us canada and australia is different when it comes to this specific provider so we have had to create a separate shop for that area so there's one for Europe and one for the North Americas and Australia. And I don't know exactly why that is. It's just uh, <laughs> how things are. But so if you go to the if you go to the website right now, you can choose which one you want to buy from. And the, the content is more or less the same. I've tried to make it the same, but you can't even synchronize it between them. Uh, so I've had to manually duplicate everything. It's the same company. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, the good news is now that even if you're in the US, Canada or Australia, you can order if you want to. And please do. That would be nice. I could have ordered one from Canada while I was there. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but it would have been delivered to Canada. So you would have to go back and pick it up. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I just came back from Canada. That that was my third trip this year. And uh, my next trip will be to the United States, to the Midwest. So, as always, I'm more than happy to try and meet up with local skeptics. And I will be visiting places like Salt Lake City. Well, the place of the Mormons, the city of the Mormons. Yeah. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many skeptics there are, but I hope few, there are I lots. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. But then I will be visiting Yellowstone, 
Grand Teton, then that horse point, Arches National Park, Bryce Canyon, and Monument Valley, and, and, and that area. So I will be covering a lot of American states. If yeah. someone in the vicinity, then please drop us a line. If we have listeners living in a national park in the US, in the Midwest, in the oh, US. There are places around those, <laughs> those, those national Andros parks will be where there people do with live. The bears and the tourists <laughs> and the... I don't yeah. know, squirrels. What else do they have? Elk, moose. Moose? Yeah. It's Canada, maybe. Moose? Yeah, moose, not so much. Moose right. tends to live much further north. The moose is loose further north. But yes. elks, elks, there are lots of elks, mm-hmm. uh, grizzlies. Um, Smokey the bear, yeah. And yeah, lots of bison, which are often wrongly called buffaloes, but buffaloes are a completely different animal. So yeah, Salt Lake City area, maybe. Anyhow, uh, there is another thing, kind of a housekeeping thing. We have already talked about that, but uh, we would like to uh, emphasize that nominations are still open for the Das Goldene Brett. And I I believe that they are open for international nominees as well for that uh, golden board that you put up in front of your forehead and refuse to accept all kinds of valid ideas because of your own stupid stupid ones. So that is a satirical award, as we already talked about um, in the last uh, show. Nominations are accepted still, and uh, sometime later this year, in October, the a winner will be announced, and then later on there will be an award ceremony as well. It's in German, but I think they accept international nominees. All right, but other than that, uh, how have you been, Pontus? Uh, I'm I'm fine, thank you very much. It's uh, slowing down a little bit now. It's not uh, hasn't been too busy. It's been almost vacation time over here, so um, very good, very good. What what are you doing in a, as an everyday activity as a as a job? It's still linked to accounting, right? Yes, finance and accounting. So- yeah. Isn't this a busy period of the year? For, well, for th- it was busy because the annual reports have to be mm. filed by uh, end of July at the oh, okay. at the latest. And for some reason, in some companies, it always <laughs> comes in on the thirty first of July, even though you think you could do it in <laughs> January. But uh, for some reason, so mm. uh, yeah. But now all of that is fixed, so so it's a little bit slower now. So it's good. Yeah, procrastination is a bitch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, I think without further ado, we should concentrate on on this week's episode, not procrastinating any longer. Let's turn our skeptical eyes towards something that happened this week in skeptical history. All right. So, I like to mention here UFO activities or UFO related activities. Oh, it's all the rage at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and especially because of that, I think it's fitting to talk about something that happened on the 29th of August 1967 in a small town in France that is called Cusac. And that was one of those close encounters of the third kind with alien beings. What do we mean by the third kind? The third kind is that which has an alien entity present as well. So like a living alien humanoid being or some kind of an alien being, not only like a flying saucer. It's a real meeting face to face. Yes, exactly. And I think this one counts as such. And that is because a young brother and sister 
the the boy was uh, 13 at the time and the the girl was 9 at the time they were looking after a couple of cows that belonged to their family and while they were doing that they saw and i quote four small black beings about 120 centimeters tall and they appeared to be flying in a weird way they were just elevated from the, the ground and then they joined into that flying thing that later disappeared it was hovering for a while but then it became super luminous and then disappeared wow and they obviously were shocked so they went home they told their families the family immediately contacted the police and the police started investigating the, the, the area and they noted a certain sulfuric odor was present there and they found dried grass in the place where the the object was supposed to have been yeah, that's a very interesting one. That's one of those sightings that do not have a proper explanation for what it actually could have been. French investigators obviously jumped on this uh, topic, and a couple of them did uh, try to come up with all kinds of explanations. But since there is there was no hard evidence apart from that dried area and the sulfuric odor, there is nothing to go by. So, <laughs> unfortunately, this might as well have been just the imagination of the two kids. One of the things that most investigators pointed out and wanted to emphasize was the fact that the two accounts by the boy and the girl, they matched almost completely. But then again... They could have talked about yeah, it on the they, way they home. Had time they discussed to synchronize it. their story. So yeah, yeah. And I'm not assuming that this was deliberate, but whatever there was, I remember with my sisters as young kids when we saw something extraordinary, something that we couldn't explain right away. Then we extensively discussed them. Obviously, that would result in a matching account of the same situation, right? Yeah. It's only natural. I mean, everybody does that. Yeah, so um, it's just one of those that are considered one of the most puzzling observations and puzzling encounters of the third kind. So, yeah, it's interesting. It happened on the 29th of August, 1967. So I thought it was worthy of mentioning on This Week in Skeptical History. Yeah, UFOs are very hot at the moment. Who would have thought? Yeah, who would have thought? Who would have thunk? Who would have thought it would come back this strong with the yeah. Senate, the congressional hearings in the U.S. Yeah. and and lots of stuff going on? Yeah, and it's become an international thing again. So, mm -hmm. like, like even here in Hungary, we've been dealing with that for for yeah. more Sweden than a year as well. Now. Yeah, so it's a big thing again. Many, many things to publish by ufologists and UFO investigators, I think. So it's, uh, it's yet another coming back from the shadows again hmm. to the limelight. So uh, interesting. Speaking of uh, coming back from the shadows to the limelight, hmm. the Pope has been left alone for a while uh, now. So I really hope that this week we have something that Pontus pokes the Pope for. 
Yes, I will poke the Pope for you today. Nice. Yes. <laughs> so I, I will go back and, and, and remember pe- uh, remind people that uh, in episode 384, which was end of June this year, I reported about a conflict between the Vatican and an archdiocese in India. And uh, the background is that in 2021, there was a decision taken at the Synod to regulate how the priests should address the congregation during the liturgies. So by papal command, if you will, you must now use what they call the 50-50 method or some people. No, I don't think Frankie calls it that, but some people call it the 50-50 method. And what is that? Well, it is you first face the congregation then you turn your back to the congregation and face the altar and then back to the congregation, back and forth, a little bit 50-50 there. <laughs> uh, I don't know the details. It doesn't really matter, but it's, a, it's, a, it's very important to some people, apparently. So the Vatican has issued the rule that you have to do this. And one archdiocese in India called Ernakulam Angamali, and I'm sure I butcher that, but... What do you know? I'm doing my best over here. They said, no, we don't want to do that. We want to look at the audience the whole time, like we have always done. And in an effort to resolve this incredible controversy, Frankie appointed the Slovakian Archbishop Cyril Vasil in late July this year as his delegate to Ernakulam Angamali. And Archbishop Vassil set an absolute deadline of 20th of August for all the churches in the archdiocese to obey this new command. And they've already been threatened before that all priests who do not comply will be fired or may be fired. And that deadline has already passed. That was 2nd of July. Well, sometimes the principle is more important than your job, apparently, for some. As of the new deadline, the 20th of August, only seven out of the 328 parishes in the archdiocese have complied. One of the Indian priests, a father, and here we go again, Kuriakose Mundadan, <laughs> Kuriakose Mundadan, has written to the Vatican complaining that Frankie's delegate is acting like, quote, an erstwhile inquisitor of the Middle Ages, end quote. Uh, and it's not disobedience, he says. It's rather a matter of, quote, deep personal conviction, end quote. So as an outsider and a non-believer, I fully recognize that there there must be something here that I don't, that I'm missing, I don't understand. But that such a minor formality can create the return of the papal inquisition, it, it's really astonishing to me. And if I have to take a side here, which I don't have to, but if I had, I would be leaning towards the Indian priests. They only want to keep their focus on the people in the congregation instead of having to turn to a stupid altar, uh, which should be more important. I mean, I'm asking you, what should be more important, the people or an altar of stone that's just standing there? So uh, come on, Frankie, if you are bringing back the Inquisition... At least you should do it for something really important. Or actually, on second thought, don't bring the Inquisition back. That doesn't sound like <laughs> a good idea at all. 
Yeah, but you know that uh, stone altar, or it can be wooden as well, it represents something that is so sacred to all Christians that is important to pay respect to that altar, even though it's just a piece of wood or stone (laughs) and doesn't have anything that resembles a human that should be paid respect. I don't know. (laughs) No, I I don't know either, but it just... For me, as an atheist, it just points the finger to how silly religion can be. And all these formalities and rituals and stuff, it's nonsense. But okay. Yeah. And before anyone says that we are only practicing animosity only towards the Catholic Church, yeah, it's a low-hanging fruit in a way, but this is what we mostly experience in Europe. So this is the big thing in Europe. It's, it affects European policies and all that, all the nonsense that is being spread by the Catholic Church. And it's still the most powerful church out there. Yes, but occasionally we do criticize other religious ideas as well because they are just silly. <laughs> Towards individuals, religious individuals, we always try to be respectful. But we should not be expected to be respectful towards an institution that exploits people and builds on their need to believe and that kind of vulnerability. It's really just exploiting that vulnerability, Mm. what they're doing. So we are going to criticize that and we are going to criticize lots of organized religions because they all do that. But we have a lot of other things to talk about that we usually considered the news. Yes, so I want to follow up the big Nessie hunt of last weekend. Not again. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but this is, well, we have to follow it up. I mean, we've talked about it. It was going to happen. It happened last weekend. Now we have to see what did they find. Uh, This is so predictable and so laughable. It is really ridiculous. As we all know, lots of people assembled on and around Loch Ness last weekend to find out the truth about Big Sea Monster, which so clearly is not there. About 200 volunteers showed up, at least as reported, in addition to the actual organizers, and uh, despite there being uh, an appalling weather, uh, what I hear. And they had their drones, they had sonar, they had binoculars, and they fine-combed the whole lock for two days. And this is what Alan McKenna from the volunteer research group called Loch Ness Exploration had to say about the results. Quote, We had people from Spain, France, Germany, and we had Finnish people. Almost like a surprise. They had Finnish people too. We have, <laughs> we've had uh, news teams from Japan, Australia, America, and this is really good, he said. We've all kind of banded together. It's been fantastic, end quote. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was a, a great trip to the great outdoors there, but um, what did they actually accomplish? Loch Ness Center manager Paul Nixon, who seems to have been the main initiator of the weekend, he said, uh, rather predictably, Quote, I believe there is something big lurking in the depth of Loch Ness, end quote. But what did they actually find? I mean, there were 200 plus people there searching for eight hours per day. Eight hours per day for two days. So that, that I made a back of the envelope calculation and that uh, is about one and a half man years of working time. 
Ooh. Uh, yeah, so they, they really That's... put some work in there. What did they find then? Well, they reported that their sonar equipment picked up no less than four distinct sounds characterized by those who heard it as gloops. I guess that's onomatopoetic. That's how it sounded. Gloop. Okay. That's all they managed to produce out of all of the these man hours. And can you imagine these amazing sounds, which were, you know, meant for science and scientific study, they happen to not be able to record them for posterity because somebody had forgotten to plug in the recorder. Good work, boys. Good work. <laughs> Isn't this the exact thing that we had predicted would happen? <laughs> yes. Do you remember? We we I said, remember you we, saying that. All and the evidence would be eaten by Loch Ness. That's what he exactly, said. But exactly. this is almost as good. Oh, my God. <laughs> But it's all it's so typical. So whenever Bigfoot shows up, right, there's no film in the camera or whatever. Yeah, I was so excited. I dropped the camera. Yeah, it, exactly. so, uh, it didn't malfunction. Battery was dead. Something happened. And this time we were robbed out of four gloops. <laughs> gloops, which is, if it's what it sounds like, then it must be something like a fish just jumping in the water. I mean, not out of the water, but, but in the water so that it gives you that kind of sound because the, as small bubbles in the water or, or larger bubbles in the water start forming, they do produce that sound. But so it's it, like, it could have been Nessie farting underwater. You don't know. Yeah. That would probably or trying sound to say like something. When they come up. Or try, trying to say that, hello guys, I'm here. Catch me if you can. <laughs> and they couldn't. Oh, <laughs> what yeah, a surprise. Yeah. What a surprise. Yeah. You know, the only positive thing about Nessie that we can definitely say is that it will never die out. Yeah. Is that positive? I mean, it's very positive to any species because usually species ah, die out after a couple mm, of million years, but it will never, it will never go Never away. become extinct because people <laughs> no, no. will always believe in it. Yeah, exactly. People always believe a lot of weird shit, but unfortunately, a lot of weird shit is being circulated on the internet and especially on Facebook, right? Well, all skeptics are very much aware of that. But we do have a couple of important fact-checking organizations like Full Fact in the UK, which is a charity, uh, UK charity, and uh, they have been working very close together with Facebook on fact-checking. Uh, Full Fact has been one of the go-to organizations by Facebook for UK-related fact-checking issues. Full Fact has been at it for so long, they have gathered a lot of data on how this uh, uh, nonsense is being propagated. And one of the one of the ways is that Facebook groups are being formed and many, many different areas and different topics are discussed on Facebook groups. And especially recently, Facebook made it a lot easier for everyone to join open Facebook groups because they don't need to be approved by anyone for an open our Facebook group, they can just join like that with a click and then they can start spreading the nonsense. And this is happening at a, an alarming level. So they have found, I mean, full fact, found 1,200 examples of identified hoax posts or at least posts with some content that 
can be identified as hoax. So it's a big minefield of misinformation and probably disinformation, which is uh, deliberately spread misinformation. So what they have been working with is hoax posts about serial killers being uh, allegedly on the run and uh, you should be aware, and then missing children, missing animals, and all that kind of stuff. So they are all applying to your good person inside of you because either something that you care about children and animals a lot of people care about them <laughs> but this sounded like as if i didn't but it's 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 <laughs> like if you hear that a person is in trouble you immediately rush to the conclusion that you need to help in some way what's the, the easiest way is sharing a post right and that is exactly what these people are after you sharing it without questioning whether the content is real and serial killers being being on the run that's another thing that appeals to your sense of safety and the or the lack of it so this is appealing on your fear and that can be very powerful as well so we know that there is a problem like that now a full fact has revealed that and they contacted Facebook's parent company, Meta, about that, writing down their fear that it could be a very high risk to society when these are propagated on Facebook. But Facebook apparently has never replied to that. So mm. even if a partner company that they use as a go-to company and a go-to group when it comes to fact-checking raise the alarm, there is still no answer to that. That is, I, th I think, is outrageous. Yeah. That just shows us how powerful they can be without even caring about it. They don't give a fuck as to what they are spreading. The only way, apparently, to deal with this situation is from a legislative point of view. I mean, from a legislative uh, standpoint, because they can restrict their legal environment in a way so that they have to amend their rules uh, and that is happening to some extent in Europe, but unfortunately, it looks like they don't really care about professional ideas and professional partners. That doesn't look good to me. Mm. No. Okay, speaking about being factual and, and correct, there is a one and a half year controversy regarding a published paper, a sort of scientific or allegedly scientific paper that is about climate change. And this controversy sort of got resolved last week. We'll see. Maybe it'll come back. I don't know. This paper was published in the European Physical Journal Plus in January 2022. And it's about climate change. And uh, by the way, this is not a journal known for climate science. But okay. It got a lot of attention right from the start. The authors, three Italian physicists and an agricultural meteorologist, claimed that they had gone over the scientific literature regarding climate change and that they had come to the conclusion that there were, quote, no evidence, end quote, of climate emergency. This conclusion, of course, met with a whole lot of criticism at the time. <laughs> While, of course, climate change deniers uh, were very happy uh, about it, they were all over it. A report in the daily newspaper The Australian described the article as, quote, long-term analysis of heat, drought, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes and ecosystem productivity, end quote, 
had found, quote, no clear positive trend of extreme events, end quote. So what they said was that we've gone through what's there and we cannot find that the climate is changing, at least not in any extreme way. This is contrary to what everybody else is saying, of course. So a Dr. Greg Holland, who is an emeritus senior scientist at the National Center of Atmospheric Research in Colorado, he said this already a year ago, this article, quote, appears to have taken the predefined view that there is no change and then selected evidence to show this, end quote. So a classic example of sherry picking. You ignore the data that doesn't support your idea and you look only at evidence that agrees with your hypothesis. Hmm. This Dr. Holland went on to say that the picture is clear if you look at all the evidence. Quote, over 70% of all recent research studies of extreme weather have found that climate change has increased the frequency and or intensity of the event. 20% were indeterminate and 9% found a decrease, most of which were for extreme cold or similar. So what he's saying is that for if you look at all the extreme events, 70% of all the studies show that climate change has increased them. And 20% didn't find that. And 9% found that it decreased the intensity. But that was when we looked at extreme cold events. So uh, lots of other experts agreed. Professor Lisa Alexander of the uh, University of New South Wales said that the paper that is controversial totally misrepresented her own research, which showed a, quote, significant trend, end quote. And... I think we all agree that saying that there is, quote, no evidence of a climate emergency is very, very doubtful. <laughs> yeah. So what happened last week on the 25th of August is that the paper was finally retracted, as reported by Retraction Watch, which we all um, share for and support. And of course, it should have been retracted. But now... The reason the controversy probably isn't over is that now everybody who is on the other side, the climate change deniers, they are crying censorship and oppression of inconvenient findings. So they will not never be convinced. It, for them, this only strengthens the conspiracy theory out there. But um, again, this was a paper compiled by people who were motivated to misrepresent the science. They didn't do any research of their own. They just cherry-picked from the existing uh, papers that were out there. And um, they collected minority findings that supported their view and ignored the rest. And it, it was right to, to yeah. retract that paper. Yeah, but as usual with these uh, retracted papers, in many cases, by the way it's actually retracted, the damage has already been done. Yeah to the public opinion and forming the public opinion because because obviously the climate change deniers will use these papers as a source of their credibility and that will do a lot of damage. That's right. And, and <laughs> just because a paper is retracted, it doesn't mean it disappears. It's still there. Exactly. You can still quote it if you want to. And over the more than one and a half years that it wasn't retracted, it was also quoted a number of times. So uh, the yeah. legacy of this misinformation will live on. Yeah. And it tells you a lot 
about climate change and whether climate change is real and it's really human induced when one of the greatest oil producers of the world, ExxonMobil, announces that according to their calculations, by 2050, the world's energy needs will still be covered by oil and gas at about 54%. Mm-hmm. And they specifically say that because the world is failing to meet the global temperature increases to stay below 2 degrees Celsius. So when they even they say so, that tells you a lot about how serious this is. I mean, yeah. this is probably, this was mostly about them boasting about how good a business they're involved in. But they base this on science. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well. <laughs> oh, so speaking of things based on science, medicine should be one of those, right? I think so. And yeah. medicinal practice, very much so, especially in times of global pandemics, when there is an absolute need, very, very important need for well-equipped healthcare professionals, well-equipped with all the knowledge and with the, the scientific mindset. Now, this is why pieces of research like the one that I'd like to mention now are very important. So it was published in Human Vaccines and Immunotherapeutics, and that is a study that tried to assess the connection between alternative medicine endorsement and vaccine hesitancy among physicians. Mm. So that was a cross-sectional study in four European countries, Germany, Finland, Portugal, and France. In total, they involved 2,787 healthcare professionals, and they use a lot of techniques to validate their attitudes towards vaccines, but also how, to what extent, they endorse scam practices, or scam practices, as Edinburgh likes to call them, so-called alternative medicinal practices. This is important because it has a serious consequence if healthcare professionals, being like anti-vax or not very supportive towards vaccination, that can hinder the implementation of immunization campaigns in these countries. We all see that connection. And the results are not very encouraging, unfortunately. The results show that there is a strong association between a lower frequency of vaccine recommendation and self-vaccination rates when it comes to the healthcare professionals themselves, and how much they endorse so-called alternative medicinal practices. There was a profile analysis, uh, the latent profile analysis of those healthcare professionals as well, and they saw a higher than average scam endorsement in those who are lower than average when it comes to being confident about vaccines and recommending vaccines to their patients. So there is a a large difference between the different countries, the highest being in Germany. That association between the two is very high. It's 23.72%. And the lowest is in Portugal and Finland. In those countries, it doesn't seem to be that strong a correlation between the two. Now, it's important to mention here that there is no way of knowing what the actual reason for that association is. What kind of an explanation could be there behind it? And this was not what this paper was set out to do. 
in the first place because it's it's a different kind of a research that is necessary for that yeah they did see the correlation but what the causation is is unknown at the at the moment we could start speculating on that but that would be just a starting point for an investigation which is happening there are papers doing that but currently there is no good evidence to support any of those notions but the fact that there is a correlation means that we need to be very careful as to how to deal with this because it has implications serious implications yeah but what it has in common though vaccine hesitancy and propagating scams is that you reject conventional medicine. Exactly. So it's probably based, and I'm speculating, as you said, probably is a a, a mistrust of conventional medicine and perhaps also authority in general. Yes, You you want to decide for yourself what is good for you and not listen to the experts. And as I said, there are several papers discussing that and there are several papers with some kind of evidence to support that notion. But um, we need a lot of research into this because it's it's highly important from a societal point of view. It's important to all of us that our healthcare professionals are on top of things and they don't spread bullshit. Well, they shouldn't spread scam in the first place. <laughs> so, Yeah. Anyhow, that's probably all the news that we have uh, we've had for this week. But I would like to know if we have someone to celebrate for being really right, or maybe to bash for being wrong. <laughs> really wrong. Well, yes. Well, for once, we we're going to celebrate somebody who I feel is really right. One of the young activists of the Fridays for Future movement has taken up a new battle. This is a young Swedish lady called Ia Anstot. What's with the Swedish young girls? I don't understand this. (laughs) They are very good, I can tell you. Well, she, uh, this young lady is now criticizing not the government or EU, but Greenpeace. She is calling them out for their stubborn position against nuclear energy, which she she says is old-fashioned, unscientific, and identity-based. And I think that last part is very, very spot on. A lot of followers of Greenpeace are do it as an identity. It's more like an f- emotional thing than it's scientific, in my opinion, in my experience. Anyway, she calls for them to, quote, join us in the fight against fossil fuels instead, end quote. And I can only agree. Greenpeace very often have their heart in the right place, I think, but regularly they get caught up in ideology. In fact, a lot of the time they are, as Anstut says, quote, unscientific, end quote. Their unreasonable, I would say, almost cult-like hatred of GMO is just one example. Oh yeah. It, yeah. When it comes to nuclear, it's very much the same. They have argued that uh, the EU classification system of promoting nuclear is uh, quote unquote greenwashing, which allows nuclear power plants to receive money that otherwise should have gone to other renewables. But as Anstut says, quote, Over a third of the clean energy in the EU is nuclear power. So Greenpeace's motion to get rid of it is really harmful, I think. 
She also said, uh, quote, Greenpeace is stuck in the past fighting clean, carbon-free nuclear energy while the world is literally burning. So we know she, who she's been listening to. Greta <laughs> uh, Thunberg. Uh, but she goes on to say, we need to be using all the tools available to address climate change, and nuclear is one of them. Anstut has joined uh, with other young campaigners from Poland, Sweden, France, Finland, and the Netherlands. So it's been a while since we've talked about uh, nuclear energy. It hasn't been too much in the news, but uh, if listeners go back to episode 208, when we interviewed Ida Ruishalme, Mm-hmm. They can hear about us talking about the need for nuclear power. And I fully agree that Greenpeace is wrong on this one. Uh, in reply to the criticism, an EU spokesman for Greenpeace had this to say, quote, The good news is that we don't need nuclear. That's what that person says. Solar and wind technologies are a much cheaper and quicker way to cut emissions. And with modern storage tech... 100% renewable systems are perfectly possible, end quote. I think this is absolutely incorrect. I don't think it's it right is indeed. There. <laughs> yeah, uh, we could just look at uh, Germany when they moved away from nuclear because of uh, Fukushima and all of that. Yeah. Uh, what happened was that they went back to coal instead, which is well, well, not well, to, better. To be absolutely correct, they yeah? did scale up their renewables yeah, but this could not cover the energy that wasn't need. Enough. They had so to increase exact, coal. Yeah. Actually, their energy needs increased more than their coverage of their energy needs with renewables. Yeah. So they actually couldn't scale it up in time. So they had to bring back coal. So ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, also, what they did, they wanted to get rid of nuclear. They couldn't yeah. really make that happen without doing other stuff. So they, one thing they did, uh, they started to import more nuclear power or electricity from, from France. France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so exactly. What, exactly. What's the point then? <laughs> Not in our backyard. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it is true that solar and wind is getting cheaper and better and is, is increasing very quickly. But it's not quick enough. We don't have the capacity also to store green electricity. He, he's talking about modern storage tech. And what he means is basically big batteries. So you could store electricity from solar and wind for times when there is no solar or wind. At night, there's no solar. And when the wind isn't blowing enough, you don't get enough from the wind turbines. But this is not easy. One day we we may have huge battery solutions, but we don't have it now. It will take a long time to develop, and they also have environmental problems of their own. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, getting rid of nuclear is not what we should do here. And there's also the, the fact, if we really developed the next generation of nuclear, we could also use the waste from the older generation nuclear as fuel for the new ones. And then you would have a much better situation when it comes to the storage of the nuclear waste. It wouldn't have to be, uh, you know, tens of thousands of years anymore. It could be just a hundred years and it would be a much smaller volume of, of that waste. So anyway, so the, the only thing that I do agree with is that it takes a long time to build new nuclear plants. 
But to call out for closing of fully functional existing uh, nuclear power plants, that's, that's crazy. That's not right. And especially before the end of their lifespan, that is, mm. that, that should be used. Yeah. Actually, I think I would recommend everyone a recent blog post by Steve Novella on um, Neurologica. Mm-hmm. He wrote about what policies are best for trying to mitigate this climate change issue. As usual, he very clearly and understandably and with with lots of facts wrote a, a blog post about that. So I yeah. We, yeah. we could we can we can probably put it put it in the show notes as well. And it's not like Steve Novella is against solar. I know for a fact he has installed solar panels yeah. on his roof at the house there where he lives. He really is a big fan of that as well. But we need nuclear too. So yeah, exactly. In the meanwhile, for taking a stance for nuclear and calling out Greenpeace for being unscientific, Ia Anstut gets this week's prize for being really right. Here, here. <laughs> yeah, well done. Well done. And we need more of these people to speak up because they make the news. They really make it to international level news coverage. And that's what we need. We need to include people like them in the discussion. Very good. Congratulations. And uh, thanks for that uh, catch, Pontus. Mm-hmm. And that, I believe, concludes our show this week. But before we go, we need a quote. And unfortunately, Annika is not here with us this week, so she cannot give us a quote. But I found one that I believe is a good one. That's one of my favorites from one of my favorite comedians, Dara O'Brien, who's an Irish comedian and TV presenter. And he's so much pro-science that he always includes a lot of scientific stuff. He's scientifically trained as well. So he knows what he's talking about. And that's very good to hear from a comedian. So, the quote is, Chinese medicine, oh, Chinese medicine. But there are billions of Chinese. Medicine must be working. Well, here's the skinny on Chinese medicine. A hundred years ago, the average life expectancy in China was 30. The life expectancy in China at the moment is 73. And it's not fucking tiger penis that turned it around for the Chinese. (laughs) Didn't do much for the tiger, if you don't mind me pointing out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's true. Well, it is, uh, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. No, the whole traditional Chinese medicine scam, for which also I must say that the WHO is falling for all the time. Oh, yes. It's, it's quite new. It's not ancient. It was almost it, gone before Mao brought it back because he didn't, exactly. they didn't have enough trained doctors. So he invented the, the idea of the barefoot doctors and... Uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, okay. Let Yeah, and people eat it like uh, yeah, like candy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it's not like the Chinese leaders are going to uh, acupuncture if they get cancer or something. They they go to proper medicine, but it's a good thing to keep the which they I have more and more access to. And that's more mm. that's the most important part. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that really concludes our show. So, thank you very much Pontus. Thanks a lot. And uh, many, many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, when hopefully Annika is back, goodbye. Hello. Bis dann. Tschüss. Tschüss.
This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. I just came back from Canada. That was my third trip this week. Uh, this, this week, yeah. That was so, my... so it feels like it, right? <laughs> yeah. Close encounter event with alien beings. Uh, that is um, the. Ernam. Um... Ernakulam Angalma. <laughs> now I'm butchering it again.